0: We're going to look again at a passage from the book of Chronicles tonight, passage from the book of Chronicles. is going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, 2 Chronicles chapter 2. We'll read the whole chapter and then just focus our attention on two verses, verses 5 and 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, preparations for building the temple is the... Title given to this section in my NIV Bible, Second Chronicles chapter 2, hear the holy inspired and inerrant word of God read for you tonight. Solomon gave orders to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. He conscripted 70,000 men as carriers and 80,000 as stonecutters in the hills and 3,600 as foremen over them. Solomon sent this message to Hiram, king of Tyre, "'Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David, "'when you sent him cedar to build a palace to live in. "'Now I am about to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God "'and to dedicate it to him for burning fragrant incense before him, "'for setting out the consecrated bread regularly "'and for making burnt offerings every morning and evening, "'and on Sabbaths and new moons and at the appointed feasts of the Lord our God.'" This is a lasting ordinance for Israel. The temple I am going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for Him, since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain Him? Who then am I to build a temple for Him, except as a place to burn sacrifices before Him? Send me, therefore, a man skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron and purple, crimson and blue yarn, and experienced in the art of engraving to work in Judah and Jerusalem with my skilled craftsmen whom my father David provided. Send me also cedar, pine, and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your men are skilled in cutting timber there. My men will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber, because the temple I build must be large and magnificent. I will give your servants the woodsmen who cut the timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of olive oil. Hiram, king of Tyre, replied by letter to Solomon, Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you their king. And Hiram added, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. He has given King David a wise son, endowed with intelligence and discernment, who will build a temple for the Lord and a palace for himself. I am sending you Huram-Abi, a man of great skill, whose mother was from Dan and whose father was from Tyre, he is trained to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood, and with purple and blue, blue and crimson yarn and fine linen. He is experienced in all kinds of engraving and can execute any design given to him. He will work with your craftsmen and with those of my Lord, David your father. Now let my Lord send his servants the wheat and barley and the olive oil and wine he promised, and we will cut all the logs from Lebanon that you need and will float them in rafts by, by sea down to Joppa. You can then take them up to Jerusalem. Solomon took a census of all the aliens who were in Israel. After the census, his father David had taken, and they were found to be 153,600. He assigned 70,000 of them to be carriers and 80,000 to be stone cutters in the hills with 3,600 foremen over them to keep the people working. And I'll direct your attention again to verses 5 and 6. The temple I am going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods but who was able to build a temple for Him, since heaven, even the highest heavens, cannot contain Him. This is God's Word. Let's pray together tonight. Lord God, what more can you say but that which you've already said in your Word? Help us, Lord, to understand your Word tonight. Help us to believe it. Help us to be changed by it. Help us to remember that we are people who, like the temple, now contain the uncontainable. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in 2 Chronicles 2, Solomon here is is making preparations for the building of the temple, as the heading in the Bible says. Uh, In the first two and last two verses, we see him taking a census of the laborers. He's assessing his workforce. The first census is of those in Israel, (coughs) and the second census at the end is of the foreigners and the aliens. In verses 3 through 10, Solomon writes a letter to Hiram, king of Tyre, in which Solomon asks for a man skilled in working with precious metals and fabrics, as well as as more timber from Lebanon, all of which would be used for for the building of of the temple. It seems that David made plans for the temple, and Solomon said, sorry, Dad, we're going bigger, because he asked for more lumber. David asked for some, Solomon asked, Solomon asked for more. In verses 11 through 16, we see the letter that Hiram, king of Tyre, sent back to, to Solomon uh, in response. And in this letter, he praises Solomon's God, and he agrees to, to send a skilled man by the name of Huram-Abi, uh, as well as the timber that Solomon Asked for. What we're looking at, though, is just those couple lines from verses five and six. These are part of that letter Solomon sent to Hiram, and in these verses, we're invited to marvel at two things uh, tonight. The first is who God is, and then the second is what God did. Who God is, what God did. The who God is part um, will all be in these verses. The what God did, we'll, we'll have to turn the page, but but who god is what god did so first who god is right who god is look what solomon says here the temple i am going to build will be great because our god our excuse me our god is greater than all other gods but who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens even the highest heavens cannot contain him how many of you have ever heard it said, you can't put God in a box? Anybody ever heard that said? Uh, that's a very problematic statement quite often because many people who use it do so to kind of undermine the authority of God's Word. You'll find people being real facetious. Uh, like, for instance, you say, God is a he. Well, you can't put God in a box. Well, God's put himself in that box as a word. So, so that, that, that statement can be very problematic. But <laughs> if you mean it literally, you can't put God in a box, Solomon would agree. You can't put God in a box. Never mind the temple, the magnificent temple that Solomon is building, as he says here. Heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him. And and this is this is our God. This is this is who he is. And we see this statements like this throughout the Bible, don't we? Uh, in Acts seven. Stephen's kind of drawing on this whole episode with Solomon in the temple. Uh, And Stephen says this, It was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Stephen is saying to think that the Creator can be contained by what's been created, is foolish. It's crazy. Literally, God cannot be put in a box. Now, this reminds us of of something we've learned on several occasions uh, in our study of God's Word over the last month, and it's that our thoughts of God are often far too low, right? They're often far too human. They're often much too simple. Uh, we bring God down to our level. We conform God to our image. We turn him into a simple, safe little teddy bear who tucks me in at night. Uh, I told you about my experience several weeks ago. If you go to this church, you've heard this. If you don't, I'll tell, it gives me right, a right to tell it again. Uh, I'd gotten up early to go hunting one morning, and uh, I stepped outside. I was by my dad's cabin, and I stepped outside, and there's a hole in the trees outside his cabin. And I looked up, and I saw the same sight I've seen on my way out bow hunting for, you know, 20 plus years, the constellation Orion. There was his belt right there, right in that hole in the trees, uh, right where it always has been. And that, you know, in that moment, I just realized, like, here's this universe, things millions and trillions of light years away, and all of it's working in perfect order, right? And in that moment, I, I realized my thoughts of God are much too small. Solomon's right, the heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain Him. And so I would say to you, we need to strive to have high views of God. We need to be careful not to limit His his power or His glory or His sovereignty. We need to be careful not not to make God too common or ordinary or benign. We need to be careful not to think we've wrapped our mind around Him and His ways. You remember Job. He was trying to wrap his mind around all that happened to him and his family and around the suffering that he endured. And he and his friends, they were sort of trying to put God into this little little box of their own understanding, as it were. And finally, God comes to Job, and he says, listen, buddy. He didn't say buddy, but I think maybe he did. I don't know. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Who shut up the sea behind the doors and fixed the limits for? Who gives orders to the morning and and shows the dawn its place? Do you know where the mountain goats give birth, Job? Do you know who gives the horse its strength? Of course, what's God saying in all that? He's saying, listen, Job, I am God and you are not. And there are some things that are beyond your ability to understand and grasp. So who is God? God is the one whom even the highest heavens cannot contain. God is, God is uncontainable. That leads to our second point where I wanted to spend maybe the most time with you tonight. What God did. So, God is uncontainable. That's who He is. What did God do? Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 5, just a couple, couple chapters over. 2 Chronicles 5, the ark has been brought to the temple. And now look what we read starting at the end of verse 13. Chapter 5, 13, then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. So do you get what happens here? Wonder of wonders. The God who cannot be contained by even the highest heaven takes up residence in a temple built by human hands. The uncontainable becomes contained, as it were. And this isn't the only time God God does something like this. You turn to the end of Exodus. You don't have to turn there, but at the end of Exodus, we see the same thing. This time, it's, it's the tabernacle, that mobile tent which Israel used to house the ark in their wilderness wanderings. This is what we read, Exodus 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, once again, the uncontainable is contained, as it were. Then, of course, we we turn the pages to the New Testament, and the most remarkable thing happens. God, again, He comes to be with His people, but this time He takes up residence. He becomes contained, as it were, not not in a tabernacle or a temple, but in a person, The person of Jesus Christ, John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling literally tabernacled among us. So, here we have the God who cannot be contained by even the highest heaven taking up residence in the flesh, being contained by a a body, as it were. So, it's true, you, you cannot put God in a box, but God God can actually put Himself into one if He wants to. And over and over again, we see Him doing that. Now, we know, right, we know that God did not cease to be omnipresent in any one of these situations. We know that even when God's glory filled the tabernacle and the temple, right, His, his presence wasn't limited to those, to those places. He continued, even then, mysteriously, somehow, in ways that define defy, excuse me, our, our, you know, finite minds. He continued to be the, the transcendent God whom the heavens couldn't contain. But even still, there was, there was something, wasn't there, that, that contained the incontainable, the uncontainable. And there still is today. There still is today. What is it? I said it in my prayer. It's, it's not the tabernacle. It's not the temple. Those things are obsolete. It's not, It's not Jesus, at least not on earth, right? He no longer walks on this earth, but He instead is seated at the right hand of God. And so, what is it in our day that contains the uncontainable? It's the Christian, right? It's, it's the believer. In Acts 2.38, Peter says, "'Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.'" In 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul says to the believers in Corinth, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? The believer in Jesus is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The believer in Jesus is the one who contains the uncontainable God today. That which made the tabernacle and the temple holy is that which makes the Christian holy. It's the presence of God Now, that brings us back to 2 Chronicles. When we go back to 2 Chronicles, we see that God designed the temple. God designed this thing which would contain Him, as it were, contain His presence. He designed it in such a way so as to make Himself known. Look at 2 Chronicles 2, verse 5. 2 Chronicles 2, 5. It says, The temple I am going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. So the greatness of the temple pointed to the greatness of God. And it was meant to help the people understand just how great their God was, right? God is spirit. The people could not see God, but the temple, it testified to the greatness. their God. If we turn to chapter 3, we'd see that Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. What better way to communicate the preciousness and the worth of God to a people who are so often easily amused by the things of this world? We also see in chapter 3 that the inside of the temple was decorated with palm trees and pomegranates which testified to the abundant life that God provides for his people. The last verse of chapter 3 says that there were two pillars at the front of the temple. Their names were Jacob and Boaz, and those words mean he's, he establishes and in him is strength. Again, they're pointing to that which God provides for his people. So everything in the temple was meant to communicate truth about God and was meant to bring glory to God. And then in verse 10, Chapter 3, verse 10, we see that in the most holy place, there was a a pair of sculptured cherubim, and this served as a warning to the people that man was still excluded from paradise and excluded from the presence of God because of his sins. This is what goes back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and God places cherubim to prevent them from coming back in. And then if you read chapter 4, you're going to see a list of the furniture that was to be in the temple. But if you, if you read through that list of furniture, you're going to find that there are no chairs, okay? There are no chairs. Why? That was significant. None of this is by happenstance. There were no chairs because the priest's work was never finished. Therefore, they could, they could never sit down. Yet all of that points God's people forward to the one who would sit down. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The priests of old, their work was never finished. Jesus' work, Finished. But the priests of old in the temple, they pointed forward, they pointed God's people forward to the one whose whose work would be finished. Anyway, the point I'm making is this, 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 this thing which contained the uncontainable brought glory to the one it contained, and it testified to the truth of the one it contained. The temple served to make God known. The same thing was true of the tabernacle before it, every bit of the tabernacle From its furniture down to the very fact that it was mobile was meant to communicate to Israel something of the truth of their God. Okay, the fact that the tabernacle was mobile testified to the truth that that our God is a God who goes with us on our journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Every bit of the tabernacle, every bit of the temple testified to the truth of Israel's God. And the same is, is true of Jesus. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who's at the Father's side has made Him known. John there is saying that God the Son reveals God the Father. God the Son makes known God the Father. What is God the Father like? Look at God the Son. He makes Him known. So, if over and over and over again throughout Scripture, these things that contain the uncontainable God are to make that God known and bring glory to His name, what does that say about us and about our calling in this world as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, as people who are, in some mysterious way, containers of the uncontainable God? Certainly, it says that our lives are to make God known. It means that when people, when people look at us, they should see something of God. Even as Israel in Exodus looked at the tabernacle and saw something of God, and as they looked at the temple in the days of Solomon and saw something of their God, and as they looked at Jesus and saw a whole lot of God, our lives are to make God known. Our lives are to bring glory to God's name. Indeed, this is what Paul is getting at in that passage in 1 Corinthians. Listen to it in its context. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What's Paul saying there? Well, a loose paraphrase might be, for crying out loud, you contain the uncontainable God. Act like it. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message, didn't you realize that your body's a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Beloved, it's true. You can't, in the most literal sense of the word, put God in a box. You can't contain the uncontainable God. But God can put himself in a box. And he has done so, and he continues to do so for the express purpose of making himself known to the world and bringing glory to his name. When people look at your life, can they see something of the God who lives within you through your faith in Jesus Christ? Can they see something of Christ's love and mercy and how you treat them? Can they see something of Christ's holiness in how you live and in how you speak? Can they see something of Christ's matchless worth in how you structure your schedule and how you spend your money? My dear believing friends, the one whom heaven cannot contain lives within you in order that the world might know of Him. May God help us make Him known. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, what a wondrous thought that we are people indwelt by you. Forgive us. Forgive us for not keeping this truth ever before us. Forgive us for thinking that we are our own. Forgive us for thinking that our lives and our bodies are ours to do what we want with. Help us to be people who live for your glory, who testify to your truth by the power of your Spirit within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand for the parting blessing, and then we'll sing our closing song together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen. We're going to close with number 66. That's to God be the glory. Number 66. And uh, let's see here. We'll do all three verses, Carlene, all three verses.